everybody, welcome to episode 55 of Literary Disco, The Stranger. Today we go back to high school and read The Stranger by Albert Camus with a real live high school teacher. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me, as always, are essayist and radio personality Julia Pistel and novelist and critic Todd Goldberg. And joining us for this special episode is high school English teacher Heather Partington. Welcome, Woo! guys. Heather's here. Woo! So, yeah. Heather is not just an English teacher. Heather is also uh, a esteemed book critic. Her criticism has appeared in the Los Angeles Review of Books, The Rumpus, uh, the Coachella Review, The Nervous Breakdown, everywhere else on Earth. Has it appeared in The Nervous Breakdown, Heather? Or am I just making that up? And it's upcoming in Bookslot and a number of different places. She is... So there's James Wood. Okay. There's Machiko... How do you pronounce her name? Uh, Kakatani? Kukitani? Oh, uh-huh. From the New York Times. Her? Got it. Yeah, from the New York Times. Yeah. There's, da- there's David you Ulan. You butchered that. That was amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Was, there's David Ulan. And then there's Heather oh, Partington. God. So, and she also has an MFA in creative writing and writing for the performing arts from the University of California Riverside's Low Residency MFA program. <laughs> oh, slip that little plug in there. I hear that. <laughs> Bam. Yeah, I hear the director. <laughs> I hear the director is amazing. Oh, so the, okay. his words so powerful. Oh, wait, wait. Okay, Heather, uh, we don't know you that well yet. First rule of literary disco is do not compliment Todd. Do not do <laughs> that it. Was- no. It was totally no, it's a, regret it. It was totally, you know, a sarcastic fake compliment. If it makes it any better. Good. Okay. Thank God. All right. So Todd, Todd, do you want to explain what happened and how this episode came about? Because this was uh, purely your idea. Well, we've been talking a lot over the course of the previous fifty-four episodes about what those damn kids are reading and what they're being taught and how they react to literature and what's being taught in the classroom and all that sort of good stuff. And so I thought it would be a good idea to actually get someone who is on the front lines of the uh, battle for America's young hearts and minds in literature, and that would be a, a high school English teacher. And I know that, Heather, you've been teaching high school for almost a decade, right? About 12 years. 12 years, okay. Yeah. And you, you've taught, you teach English, and you also taught AP English, correct? Yes, yeah. So did you always know you wanted to be an English teacher? I kind of did. Um, I think from about junior high on. My mom's a teacher. She teaches um, elementary school, so I... I sort of knew that I wanted to teach. Um, I was a dancer also. I was a ballet dancer. So I kind of had that running as a, as a parallel career or interest. And I actually started by teaching dance. But then I knew once I went to college that I, I wanted to follow through and teach English. So, Did you, did you always read? Or was there like a, like a moment that you remember where a book just totally grabbed you as a kid? And you're like, oh, this is what I want to study for the rest of my life. Um, I definitely always read. I grew up in a reading family. Both my parents read a lot. And um, I read all those cat mystery books when I was in (laughs) junior high. You know, I was all up in those. Um, Cat mystery books? Oh, my gosh. What is a cat mystery? Like Like the the cat who, you know, and then there's like a million of them. And I, as a seventh or eighth grader, I was obsessed. Writer, it's cats who solve mysteries. I've never read these books. Yeah, it's like, yeah, cats that help. Wait, and I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry to take away from Now, your... if they had had horses that solved murders, well, no, Julia would have Right. Julia's all over. Julia's all... I, a horse I have a girl, big but... revelation to reveal here, which is that my boss and I have an on... I'm sorry, Heather. You're super awesome, but they're going to love this, and everyone will make fun of me for the rest of my life. Uh, so my boss and I have an ongoing relationship at the Mark Twain house with him, uh, daring, awkward. daring me to do stuff. Yeah. Oh, Don't listen. Okay. So wow. he dared wow. me. Wow. Is married? He's... Jeez. Don't worry, guys. Bold. He's very gay uh but okay. he dared me now to pitch weirder. we've said now you just yeah. outed him yeah that's great i hope he's out of the closet poor guy <laughs> all right sorry Jay, this is on. yeah this is gonna unravel fast so these are these are tangents on your tangent which yeah, and I'm was farther to away add from my heather own tangents which is, I went to his, this is a tangent on the tangent. I went to his gay wedding dressed as Moby Dick. You guys may have seen the pictures. <laughs> yeah, anyway, I have seen that photo. Um, <laughs> that's the best sentence I've heard all week. Anyway, he uh, is constantly daring me to do the worst or, like, weirdest things uh, that come up at the Mark Twain house. So I just agreed to moderate a panel on cat mysteries um, in the oh, fall. No. So... That will be happening. And I have to attend this panel because I obviously you need to learn. You obviously do. It'll be a serious yeah, discussion. Um, so, yeah, I will be an expert. It's a thing. But Heather's more of an expert right now. No. After we read uh, the horse and cancer book that someone recommended to us on the internet, 16 That's and Dying. That's by Lillian McDaniel, um, who think... we brought up in that, that other episode. 
Oh. Well, but then we should uh, yeah, read a book she... about a, a cat who solves a crime. No problem. Yeah. All right. So you read Cat Mysteries. <laughs> yeah. And Heather, you were always a really good student. Uh, I was. Yeah, I was that kid. And what I was going to say is I didn't stop at, at Cat Mysteries. I, <laughs> I <God>. kept going. <laughs> and uh, yeah. And I had some amazing teachers. And so I, you know, I looked at what they did and I thought I definitely want to do that. And I, I had teachers that were really good at teaching writing. Um, and so that was really powerful to me. And so I knew that that was something that I, that I wanted to do. And it's my favorite part of teaching right now is, is teaching writing. So, um, so for, for the, for your English classes, do you get to pick the books the students read or is there, there's a curriculum that's set and you can go off of it? What, tell us a little bit about how that works. Um, so there's, there's different things. There's, um, state standards or there were at least now we're transitioning over to common core, which is a whole incredibly big other thing but there are standards that the state has had for most of the time that I've been teaching and they say the students need to be able to do these certain skills by the time they finish ninth grade 10th grade 11th and 12th and there's reading writing listening and speaking skills for each grade um, and then each district determines what books the kids would read so what textbooks and then also um, my district has what they call core novels so Every um, ninth grader at my high school reads Romeo and Juliet, and they read um, The Odyssey, which isn't a novel, but neither is Romeo and Juliet. But, um, and they read Ayn Rand's... Um, uh, the Fountainhead? No, 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 the short one, Anthem. Oh. And um, so they're, they're novels like that for each grade. All 12th graders read Hamlet um, and Barbara Kingsolver's Animal Dreams. So at each grade level, there are certain books. And then really um, supplemental materials, you know, you can, you can bring things in. I just taught um, to my, I'm teaching juniors this year, and I just did a creative nonfiction unit. So I brought in some stuff from Dinah Lenny's new book and some stuff from Columbine. I had them read the first five or six chapters of Columbine. So, but that's all dependent on what you can photocopy, you know, what you can afford to, <laughs> I'm serious, you know. Right. And then, a, yeah, a lot of what we teach is just determined by what books we have. Mm. So the the books that we have now, I think probably the most recent ones were approved in the mid-90s. Oh, wow. So even our contemporary literature um, is not very contemporary anymore. So, you know, you can do a lot with supplementing, and I, I bring in a ton of stuff for the kids to look at. But um, our textbook we've had for a long time, and so a lot of it's just dependent on materials too right you know because there isn't a there isn't a lot of money I, even if i read something that's great if i said i want to buy a class set of that you can't just you know there's no money for anything right now so right. um that really that's really restrictive if you were to buy a class set would they let you teach it or does it have to go through some major approval process um we do have a if you're if you're going to teach a novel we have an approval process and there's a, a panel of teachers and i think probably district administrators that that have to approve it um, supplemental materials, you have a little bit more leeway, but you know you need to make sure that they're classroom appropriate for high school kids. And so, what, um, what is what does that mean? Because like, so we read The Stranger, which we'll get to in just a second. Yeah. And there's stuff in here that, as I was reading, I was like, huh, I don't yeah. remember that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's it's complicated, and it's a it's a difficult thing to teach. Honestly, um, I mean, to teach literature is difficult because literature is about the things that make life interesting. And sometimes that, you know, if you're going to think critically, you have to read things that are maybe sadder or more violent or, you know, more about relationships than some parents would be comfortable with. And so, you know, that I think that our district tries to oversee as much as possible. And, um, and then really, I think there's a lot of responsibility on the teacher just to use their best judgment. And that's, you know, that's why major novels and things like that go through an approval right. committee. Um, How much say so, do, do parents have, or do they not enter into the, into the equation? Um, individual parents, like yeah. of a kid that I have in class. Um, it depends. You know, I've, I've had some years where I've had parents that have made a big, big deal. And I've had other years where it's not a, you know, I, the first year I taught, I taught the catcher in the rye and I had a parent, um, I was teaching juniors, and I had a parent come to back to school night and raise her hand and say, how dare you teach that filth oh my to my child? <laughs> yeah. And, Did this parent, and, um, like, teleport from 1970? <laughs> we, you know, I can't but... even remember. So I have a real question about that. Yeah. I read Catcher in the Rye, and I loved it as a high schooler, but I don't remember anything... What is the objection with Catcher in the Rye again? Does the something... language. Yeah, he the just language. swears. He never has sex. The language. language. Okay. It was the language for that parent. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. But then it, it, when it's banned across the country, it's often also just for, you know, that because he's a sociopath, you know, he's pretty nihilistic and people don't like that he doesn't, he has a godless worldview and stuff like that too. So I think that that's one of those things. Like I'm always fascinated by what books get banned. I know. Um, and invariably, it's it's under the auspices of religion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we even see it in California, but you see it, you know, in the in the Bible Belt far more often, I suspect. Mm-hmm. So how does the district actually determine what books are on the list? Is there a, a panel, or I mean, do teachers make up the panel? How does that work? Yeah, I mean, I. I'm not exactly certain that process because I haven't been involved with it. Um, but I know that there are, there are teachers in the district on the panel. And I, I'm not, I, I mean, I couldn't speak to specifically who it is, but I, I know that it's teachers. I think it's probably administrators as well. Um, and then sometimes, like, this is a little bit separate, but we, with films, we have to get films approved if we show them in the class as well. And so there are parents that sit on that committee and, um, and you know, that's a whole other ball of wax, but... Um, but individual parents, I would say it, it just depends from year to year. And the other thing is that this book, um, is a book that I did with my AP kids. Mm -hmm. So in AP, there's, there's definitely a a different expectation. You know, you're taking a a college class, um, at the high school level is what AP is supposed to be. And so we really try to approach, um, the literature with the kids, like, you know, this is, this is stuff that you would read in college. So you need to be more mature as far as how you're going to you're going to deal with it. And, and I, I would say in AP, because parents know that we're giving their kids more advanced stuff, that there's a little bit more, um, not freedom. Cause I'm not, you know, I'm not bringing, not trying to corrupt all the children, but, <laughs> but you know, there's potential Anymore. for, for, um, for having them read stuff that makes them think more critically. And, um, and it's maybe a little bit less safe. And I don't mean in terms of like something, you know, pornographic or whatever, but safe as far as like challenging their worldview or just pro- not not even challenging providing them with another way to look at the world through somebody else's I eyes. guess I'd never I'd so. never thought of it that way that the AP classes I mean you're getting college credit for them so they should be college level stuff yeah, yeah. which is probably why I failed that AP exam in Western Civ or history <laughs> oh, or was. I loved I took a bazillion AP classes I love them and I think that you I'm sure you do get much more freedom with that well you get freedom and not freedom because you have the test obviously looming but um and in my high school if you took an AP class you had to take the test I'm not sure why they had that rule but um you know it also like the kids want that prestige and the parents want that prestige so they're going to be way less likely to object right to what you're doing because they want their kids to be yeah. in that class. And, and the other thing about yeah. AP is that um, the AP English test, um, the literature and composition test that I taught, um, it's not a, like history, you know, you have to cover certain events, so you, right. you can't, like, skip the Civil War. But um, the, <laughs> the thing about... So about, shit happened. States yeah, are divided. Yeah, there was some... It was you know, terrible. Right. Um, but it's a skills-based test, and you can really use any novel that was written or translated into the English language... Um, AP, they have a thing that they, you know, sort of a, um, it needs to be a work of comparable literary merit. That's how they, they talk about it, but basically they're literary novels. Um, and, uh, that gives you freedom as an AP teacher as well. So you, you can, there's not like a a set textbook for AP. You determine what novels you're going to have the kids read. And, and as long as they're learning the skills, then you can use any, it can be English, it can be American, it can be literature and translation. So not not knowing the makeup of your high school, but knowing that you are um, a relatively young person, um, are, have you been bringing in stuff that other teachers don't bring in? So are you like like for Columbine, for instance? I mean, obviously mm-hmm. that only came out a couple years ago, or yeah. something by Dinah Lenny, who's not who's a wonderful writer who we all know, but mm-hmm. who isn't you know in the national conversation per se. Mm-hmm. Are are you the one person who's doing that, or are your colleagues doing the same thing, or are they just you know having them read Ivanhoe over and over again? No, I would say that my my colleagues are um, definitely that everybody is really curious and really all about trying to bring um, as much new stuff as possible too. And there and there's been a big push with um, with Common Core to get more nonfiction into the classroom. Um, and we've done a lot of non, more nonfiction over the past few years, but it's been more informational. And one of the things that I actually like about the Common Core is that they talk about bringing literary nonfiction in. So it's not just textbooks or, you know, like the, here's an article I found out of the newspaper, but 
you know, looking at the beauty of language and nonfiction, which I think for me, when I was in high school, we didn't read a lot of nonfiction. It wasn't until I got an MFA that I, that I really found a lot of really beautiful, right. And I love nonfiction, you know, I mean, I, I, and so for me, it's, it's like, how can I bring that into the classroom and share it with my students? But I would say, um, my colleagues, they're doing the same stuff. You know, I, I'm bringing things in from my MFA program because that's what I was exposed to. But, um, but I would say everybody else is, is trying as much as they can to bring good quality material. I don't, yeah, I don't really see anybody who's just stagnated, you know? So my, my last question, then we'll start talking about the stranger is do, do the kids read? Like if they're not assigned stuff, are the kids (laughs) readers? Um, you know, Probably not. I mean, there are, there's, you know, if we're talking about AP, obviously there are always going to be kids in AP that are readers. Um, but I would say most of my kids that I see in a traditional college prep class are not readers. So, you know, one of the things that I take really seriously is I want them to leave my class and be able to write. But I also really just, I tell them, find something that you are interested in and read about it. And because they all think that, you know, reading is all the books that the teachers pick and, it's only boring stuff. And, and what I always try to get across is if you're reading something that you're really curious about, or it's about a subject that you want to know about, it doesn't feel like work. And so a lot of what I do is giving them time to read in class. Um, I do a lot of, with my regular ed classes, I do, you know, silent reading and things like that. And I know a lot of people joke about silent sustained reading and that that's like awful, but for a lot of my kids, they don't have a quiet place at home to read, or they don't have access to books. Um, I started bringing in the New Yorker a couple years ago and, you know, to have kids pick that up or, um, Newsweek when it was still around and they don't see things like that in their house. So I just, a lot of what I'm trying to do is just, um, expose them to as much as possible. And then, um, hopefully, you know, later, maybe a couple years from now, they'll pick up a book for fun. So that's a really difficult concept right now when there's so many easy things on electronics to entertain yourself with, to, to do something where you have to sit and be still and silent and, and concentrate on it. Um, for a lot of them, it's really hard. Yeah. Do they, so. do they listen to podcasts? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if they do. I'm not sure. Well, you're going to find out. Yeah, I am. I we know. have a lot of high school listeners, I think. Yes, well, I, so, I feel pretty confident. We have a lot. Yeah. yeah, we do. Although I would say this, and I know you guys, we, you know, everybody's talked about John Green a ton, but I have a bunch of ninth grade girls who are fangirling hard for John Green and you know that has to uh, and as Todd knows I because I wrote a paper on the the book for um for him but uh I it wasn't my personal cup of tea and I I listened to the episode that you guys did about it as well but I think it's so exciting that kids are excited about a book period you know because some of us started out with cat mysteries you know and we kept going so all right, as much as we could continue to talk about cat mysteries, let's move on to The Stranger by Albert Camus. Yes. Yes, All right. best book. Now, Heather, this was uh, this was your selection. Todd asked you to pick something that you have your high schoolers read, and you selected The Stranger, and then you actually gave us a quiz on the book after we read it. So do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Um, yeah, we can. And, and I have to say up front, too, that I wouldn't um, this type of so I gave them a multiple choice test. And we'll, um, we'll make the test available to our uh, to our listeners. Um, oh, after, good. We'll put it up on the Facebook for you guys. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> um, uh, so I wouldn't I wouldn't probably, especially with the AP kids, I wouldn't give them a multiple choice test like this unless I was trying to just see if they read which right. is something that I do, you know, like, hey, you guys aren't reading, so I'm going to give you a multiple choice test. But more than the multiple choice, did you read stuff? What I'm interested in is the analysis of it. And, and um, so it's not, I don't want people to think that I'm all about scantrons. And, <laughs> no. And only scantrons. We don't think that. Can I just, yeah, before we so dive you, into this, as an adult, like, I love getting quiz. That is, um, I'm going to regret saying this um, publicly, but that's like my <laughs> drunk go-to. I'm like, give me a quiz. Give me a quiz on anything. I'm ready. The fuck? <laughs> Yeah. Wow. You got a great honeymoon coming up. Are you kidding me? I'm like the exact opposite. I spent, this test was awful for me because it brought back all the anxiety of multiple choice questions, which is that I overthink every answer. I can never just pick one. I think, well, that could work. (laughs) Were you that kid that would come up to the teacher and go, now, what did you mean exactly by B 
No, I was super lucky because I went to like a crazy alternative school. I was uh, the kid who got a D on my first college test oh, no, because no. I had spent my entire high school being asked what I thought and writing answers to questions that were, you know, all about my reaction to the literature or to the history or whatever. And then I got into my first college course. And of course, they just wanted to hear what they had right. already right, lectured right. me about being regurgitated back to them. So I got a D because, you know, when they, oh, no. they're asking me about, you know, Baudelaire or whatever, I was like, oh, this is my chance to explain my feelings. And it's like, no, you know, they just wanted to get the exact, uh, they just wanted to make sure that I'd been in class and that I had read the books. And so I got a D and had to learn very quickly, like, oh, that's not what this is about. It's not about thinking for yourself critically. Yeah. So I, I'm so sorry. I, I really want to get to the book, but, uh, on this topic um so the hardest class i took in college and my absolute favorite experience of getting tested and this was you know i was an english major so i wrote so many papers and essays and you know i was good at that but finally um, my senior year in college i took a shakespeare tragedy test and we had a test every week and we knew it was coming but it could be any line from any play and you had to say who said it oh and my where. god so Jesus you basically Christ. had to memorize 10 tragedies uh, um, I, I would have needed Xanax, like, I, by the bucket full. But the fact oh. that he was so upfront about it, like, it was every single class, you know, and I really got into it, and I, I did well. But because because with Shakespeare, um, there's the movies are so pervasive that, and, you know, like, that the, that's the only way, the only way, pretty much, to make sure even people at a good college are really reading the plays it was it was great i loved it a lot of people hated it i had a, it. <laughs> I had a professor i loved this professor too she taught a, a class on um beowulf and norse mythology and she did the same thing reading quizzes at the beginning of every class and i failed them all but i did all the reading and i went to class you know every single week and so i experienced something very similar <laughs> I, I failed Greek and Roman mythology in college and then had to take the class again. What? How could you? That's the most fun <laughs> yeah, thing Yeah, well, I was a fucking idiot. And, in fact, it was always multiple choice tests, in fact. Oh, God, this fucking class. Dr. <laughs> Adams was his name. And I had to get 98% on the final test to get a D in the class to pass it. And I got 94%. No. And I went into the <laughs> office afterwards. I'm like... I got 94%. You've got to pass me. And he said, you shouldn't have failed all of the other tests. And I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. And then... Yeah, the, it's not about improvement. No. And then the next quarter when I retook the class, he calls Roland to class of like 300 fucking people. He's like, Goldberg, that's a familiar <laughs> name. I'm like, oh, fuck this guy. <laughs> oh, God. You deserve it for failing probably the most fun college level subject yeah in retrospect it's a, a class i should have passed but you know when you have a, yeah. a gut full of keystone gold it's hard to really get the uh, the, the greek you were gods caught up in the up greek in system and yeah i was in the greek system you're a greek god of your own right i, I didn't oh, see any so... fucking sig apps in the greek and roman mythology oh christ so anyway <laughs> so how do we do how do we do okay yeah. So, do you guys want to? Do you want to guess yeah. who won first, or do you want me just to lay it on you? I bet Todd won. I think Julia did the best. I mean, she's the one who loves taking quizzes, and uh, she's a good student. I took this test really fast. I think Julia won, but hold on how How are you grading the essay portion? You know what? I should have um, I should have weighted the the test differently than I did, but I didn't put any points on there, so I just made each worth one because okay. I, since I didn't say what they were going to be worth, so I just made it out of twenty. All right. So, um, Ryder is our top scorer of the day with 19 out of 20. <laughs> All right. Just that first question. You he only got the wow. first one wrong. Yeah. Wow. Great job. Todd, Todd comes in with a solid B minus. Oh, no. Julia, 70%. <laughs> I, I took it in like three minutes. Like, click, 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 click. I may have even missed some questions. It was, I, I have to admit, it was tricky because there were a lot of the all of the above answers. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So it's about choosing the answer that's most correct, as I would tell oh. my students. You know, it's, it's that, oh. old, that old chestnut. What, so. what exactly was Julia's score? Like, what's the percentage for, for Julia? 14 out of 20. That's 70%. bad. Wow. That's bad. Did, yeah. I, did you not give me credit for my short answers, which are not sentences? No, your short answers were fine. They were good. <laughs> they, it was some of the other 
I don't think I did very well in the short answers, actually. Let's talk about Mr. Goldberg's um, <laughs> short answers. Yeah. Um, okay, so the question, the first short answer question is, explain why Merceau is convicted, what type of evidence is used, why is this important to the overall meaning of the book? So Mr. Goldberg said, I think personally myself, that is because of stuff that happened between him and Daisy and the green light. And sometimes life isn't fair. I also think like Pip in Great Expectations, he has a great chance to make a new life. So good. Exclamation point. Ah, uh, you did the old trick of bringing in other works of literature to make you sound smarter. Yeah, he did. So that wasn't right? No, that was not. Um, no. But way to throw something else in there to make it sound like, you know, you knew something. And then uh, the second, the second short answer question was um, Rousseau's final conviction. Go conversation with the chaplain causes him to snap and subsequently change. Explain what breaks Marceau and why this moment is significant to the work as a whole. And so Mr. Goldberg said, "I think personally myself that sometimes, like in the Prisoner of Zenda, it's about the way that people can sometimes feel oppressed by things, like in Of Mice and Men, when the mockingbird is a symbol of freedom." <laughs> the way to anarchy and peace how sometimes the eyes of society are on you because of the bible so it's actually a pretty accurate parody of the way high schoolers answer when they have yeah what they're talking it is about. Right. it is oh yeah it's always society yeah. right like yeah. why is society such a big deal when you're yeah but you know society but the stranger is all about society it kind of is actually yeah, yeah. it actually yeah. is yeah, that, yeah. that one, it works, but yeah, definitely for high schoolers, identity and society and individuality is always such a big deal. I completely fucked up. Did I click on the wrong stuff? He, got, Todd got a couple of other ones wrong where it was, um, well, you, it was you, like, you tricked me into a wrong answer. I did. I actually put one on there that was to get Todd. It was about what is the theme of the novel. And I said that theme is. A, an invented construct or something because I know that Todd hates themes. So well, that one almost threw me off because it's actually the most existentialist right. answer. Kind of stranger. Yeah, you know that, that that's what Merceau would say that there's yes. no such thing as yes. themes. Merceau oh, yeah, and Todd is meaningless. Twins. That's fantastic. <laughs> Julia's playing it cool, but she's actually probably really upset that she didn't do that. Role. I'm a failure. That's the worst I've ever done on a quiz. <laughs> yeah, not the C minus student. And she was the one who wanted to be crazy. Yeah, she's too. pissed. I know, yeah. I know. She's going to um, send okay. you extra credit, Heather. Don't worry. I can yeah. take it. <laughs> Tomorrow you're going to get a full book report on 12 Angry Men or something. I do want to I do want to see um the I want to see the answer key and I want to see <laughs> I'm, where I'm I good. I'm really You're going to get a call from Julia's mom <laughs> yes, uh, tonight. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, you know, my Julia uh, is actually very a very good student <laughs> and I'm just not sure that the test was really fair. Because my sweetheart is really a smart, wonderful She's a kid. precious little snowflake. And if you just knew her, you knew how hard she does. Oh, so that test actually happens? Well. You get that parents call you all the time? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The he doesn't test well. Yeah, that I get that a lot. What about um, your liberal no, bias? Does that show up sometimes? No, 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 no. No, no. Oh, that's good. Um, so why don't we actually give an introduction to the book itself? Yeah. We've, we've yeah, talked about the test, but we haven't talked about yeah. the plot or uh, what this what this book is. So... Um, so it's sort of seen as the existentialist novel. Um, and it's about a man, uh, Merceau, whose, um, mother has just died and he goes to the, uh, funeral home and he goes to, um, to her funeral and, um, sort of has interactions with people while, while he's there, they observe him to be not really affected too much by her death. And um, to say the then, least. <laughs> yeah, and then he goes back home and um, subsequently ends up committing a crime and then is tried for that crime and his actions at his mother's funeral and in the days immediately after um, end up being used as evidence um, in the trial against him. So. Where he is found guilty. So he's, he, yes. he kills a guy. He kills an, yeah. an Arab. <clears throat> he does. Yeah. So reading this again now uh, at this age was such a strange experience because I remember reading it when I was 17 or 18 and I, I read it that back then because a girl gave it to me and you know and I think I think I wanted to impress her so I I really fell in love with the book you know and I and I at the time I remember identifying with Merceau as a narrator um, which 
it's so weird to me now because now when I read it, it's so obvious to me that um, he's basically a sociopath mm-hmm. and that he's a complete, you know, he's an outsider, but he's also a murderer and this sort of morally blank person. And yet I, at that age, for whatever reason, it connected to me in a way that now I'm able to look at it and go, whoa, this is, you know, this is more about the social commentary and that who he is as a person, we're supposed to, you know, be outside of him and we're supposed to sort of be judging him. But back then, I remember thinking he was kind of cool or like, you know, he was sort of in that French way, like as an outsider, kind of, you know, yeah, a hip dude. He's with it. Or at least that he was smart and sort of above his society because he was able to, you know, not play by their rules. Well, when, yeah. you, when you're 17, yeah. you have no future. Everything's the present when you're 17, you know, which I think if you're a sociopath, everything feels like there's no consequence to it. Uh, it's interesting, too, because I think that for me, part of getting into The Voice, um, and I had read it before, but I had no memory of it. Um <laughs> Getting, as you can tell from my quiz, uh, getting into the voice of it, um, I was a lot more forgiving of the voice because I knew it was translated, A, and B, French. You know, I was like, oh, look, this Frenchy French thing, you know what I mean? Like, how, like, cool and laid back. And, like, knowing that it's a translation, um, you know, we do have, or I, it took me longer to really detect some of the voice choices and philosophy choices because I was giving it time to just be a work in translation. You know what I mean? Like the way the sentences fall on the page are very direct and very short and very repetitive at the beginning. Um, but I, for at least five or six pages, I chalk that up to the translation and not the existentialism. And I, I found it, um, at first I found it funny and then I started to find it really disturbing, mm-hmm. his his lack of any sort of feeling. Like, I read it at first kind of as a black comedy, mm-hmm. but yeah. the, all that changed. Um, and because I, I was also trying to figure out how I read it as a kid. Like, because I think the first time I read it, I actually read it because of the Cure, the Cure song, Killing an Arab. And I had found it, oh, my God, that's based on this book. I'm going to read it. So I can understand this very deep cure song. And then I read it, uh, I think, in college for a class because I, I have markings and stuff in it. Um, but I can't imagine that I understood what the fuck I was reading mm-hmm. when I read it when I was 17. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, there's two two things that you guys bring up that I wanted to talk about. The first one is um, it's really interesting to me always how this book hits kids. Um, I would say the reason that I have them read it for AP is that I want them to read a book where they don't identify with the protagonist so they go into books expecting to like the protagonist and expecting the protagonist's actions to make sense um, we also um, read native son by richard wright which has a similar they have a similar sort of reaction for completely different reasons but you know we the, there's a lot of great conversation that happens about you know why would an author do that why would an author choose to make you uncomfortable because kids don't like it when anybody makes them uncomfortable you know so um why what kind of a what kind of a choice is that and and how do you do that um through your characterization and through you how how you write a book you know why would you do that and so that's an important um conversation that i have with them and one of the other things that julia was just talking about um the translations, I have them look at um, the end of part one in two different translations. So there's the Gilbert translation, which is the older one, and then the Ward translation, which they've read. And I just wanted to just read for you guys the last sentence of the two different translations because it's so different. Um, it's, ta- <clears throat> it's talking about when he um, when he actually shoots the Arab and, and um, it's such a kind of iconic line so in the in the Gilbert translation, the older translation, which is much more verbose, it says, and each successive shot was another loud, fateful rap on the door of my undoing. And then the Ward translation, the last sentences, and it was like knocking four quick times on the door of unhappiness. And those are two different books. Oh, wow. completely different you know? meaning. Completely different meaning. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I have, I read the um, the Gilbert translation. That's the one I, I had. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's completely different. Yeah. And the, the Gilbert one is better. The Gilbert one I, I is... like the ward. I don't know. I, I people I mean, I always talk with kids about like which one they don't read obviously both of them, but they have right. they get about a couple pages of, of each. Um, mm-hmm. and 
the the ward is much more like short choppy sentences and the gilbert is a little more kind of flowery language yeah i was gonna say i like the sound um, of the gilbert one better but i feel like the ward mm -hmm. i mean i didn't read the gilbert one but just that one sentence was like oh that sounds nicer but there's something mm -hmm. uh, something mm -hmm. about the ward just i don't uh, uh, there's a feeling to the whole book that um i think is really artfully captured I, i'm assuming because mm -hmm. i i mean i actually yeah. read in a french class in college i did read a camus short story in french because you know his his stuff mm -hmm. is actually pretty simple and so it was like mm -hmm. one of the first mm -hmm. when you get into like you know fourth level french when they're giving you easier stuff to read we read some camus right. and yeah. i remember thinking like oh i, I got it you know and, and, and to me it's yeah. it seems more like the word translation his voice i don't know maybe i'm wrong yeah yeah i had the first time i read this was in my french class in mm -hmm. college and I did not understand it at all. Yeah. <laughs> but the language is simple. Yeah. Um, and I remember kind of understanding on a on a plot level, like really basic what had happened. Yeah. But, but I didn't I didn't get it. You know, but I mean, that's such it. an interesting choice, too, because I'm um, sorry. In the Gilbert translation, what's the last word? My the undoing. My undoing. And yeah. then mm -hmm. the word the word one is right. unhappiness, which is, you yeah. know, that's a major thematic choice that's being made in yeah. this translation. Yeah. Yeah. I now want to know what the French word is right. because... For me, when I read that unhappiness, that was like a beacon of light shining through the book towards, you know, his, his, like, a, at least some kind of feeling or conscience, yeah. you know what I mean? But undoing, that's just a right. plot device. So right. that's completely yeah. different. I must know. What is the French? <laughs> I'll look it up myself. I don't have my French copy right here. <laughs> well, the, I'm looking it up. And the interesting yeah. thing also is that it's also an earlier turn with the unhappiness line there yes. than what happens right. in the in the book right, because right. he doesn't have the emotional revelation until you know the end of part two basically exactly yeah um so it, i mean it, that's it what a huge difference that that's really sort of profound so when you're explaining the book to the kids um and and telling them why it's important to read characters who aren't anything like them and that's not to say that there probably aren't some sociopaths in your class um, yeah. Do they get it? Like, or do, who do they identify with, or or do they not care if they identify? Yeah. No, we talk about that. Um, we talk about how other characters in the book, you know, like where can you see yourself? And and there are always kids who honestly who say, "Oh my God, I'm Merceau. I've never seen myself in a book before, and I'm him." I have that. You know, every year, like one kid that says, "This book is everything." You know. But um, for most of them, we talk about who do you identify with and not for just like reader response reasons, but what choices is Camus making that make you identify with somebody else? And like for me, you know, when Marie is trying to get him to acknowledge her in some way and she's like, should we get married? And he's like, if you want, you know, mm -hmm. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> right. whatever. Sure. Like, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Somebody should like, do that. Like a modern <laughs> Valley <right>. Girl translation. <laughs> whatever. Right. right. <laughs> And, um, you know, so for me, I see myself mm. in her in that, like, wanting um, attachments or, um, like, with the, the old man. And his dog, um, yeah. Sal yeah. Salamano and his dog. You know, there's there's a relationship there, even though it's really messed up. But so we talk about what other characters um, are more sort of like everyone else and, and you know, what sets Merceau apart and why, why would Camus do that? Uh, if you had asked me before <clears throat> reading the book, is there a pimp in this book, I would have said no. I had no memory that his neighbor, the guy that he kills the Arab for, basically, was a pimp. Yeah. I had no memory of that yeah. at all. Yeah. And, I mean, it, it's such a, it, it, it's a really odd novel because there's, every single character in the book could be the main character of another book. Yeah. And you feel like, yeah. you know, oh, this is the kind of thing where you could look at all the angles and it would be interesting. But this guy who's the pimp, um, you know, it the whole situation where where he ends up having uh the narrator kill the arab for him basically doesn't make any sense and is never explained there's this arab who's who's after me basically and then they just show up on a beach and they're just laying down and then he just kills the guy and maybe it's the flat affect of the character that nothing has to be explained because he sees nothing and cares about nothing but it i kept thinking wow if this book were written today you know would it survive to without w with this blank affect for the character? And I don't know. I mean, I think it, it had it's of its time, and and nothing quite like this has come across subsequently, unless you're looking at things like Catcher in the Rye. Sometimes I, w I was reminded of Catcher in the Rye, um, 
So I'm wondering, do the students care about the plot points not really lining up directly? About the reason why he kills him? Yeah. Um, oddly, no. That doesn't usually come up. <laughs> I guess they're used to they're used to TV and and movies mm-hmm. and stuff where where people do things without. Um, I, it doesn't come up. I guess. I mean, I guess it does later when we get to the the second half of the book. Then it's more about justification mm-hmm. and why did this happen when we're looking at the crime from a legal perspective. But um, I would say no. They don't. They just kind of like. Oh, it was hot, so he shot him. You know, like they, yeah, like I was hot once. You know, like they they know they, they get it. Yeah, I don't know, but also I think that has to do with the fact that teenagers are very. Um, it's about response to immediate, you know, whatever's happening immediately to them, mm-hmm. and and that's how Merceau is. Like he's just responding to different stimuli around him. You know, he's not his actions are not premeditated, and that's not to say that my students don't think about the things that they do but um oh, that's interesting that makes sense to me because <clears throat> mm-hmm. i feel like you're more passive when you're a teenager right you're mm-hmm. sort of out of control about the world around you you feel a little more like adults are in control of things wow that that maybe that makes me feel better about relating to <laughs> when I, was... <laughs> I wasn't a budding psychopath i swear it makes me feel better about killing that hobo that one day i uh, know i knifed him to death it wasn't <laughs> bad <laughs> By the way, after some searching, I found the last line in French, and it's Le Porte du Malheur, M-A-L-H-E-U-R, which if you look up, is like adversity or misfortune, mm. not necessarily unhappiness or undoing. Yeah. But, mm. So both of those are kind of choices. Yeah. You know, it's... Um, well, that's interesting. Yeah, so it's not really a mood, <laughs> but it's also not just, uh, out, you know... Your undoing. That's it. Yeah. I think personally, I kind of like undoing better, mm-hmm. but I like misfortune. I the pastel translation will be coming out shortly. I don't have Well, I and I think um, even though I like the word translation better, I think that the for me the Gilbert the word undoing it sort of um, uh, you know is a, a like a nicer segue into what the second half is about. You know that it yeah. becomes about his undoing. Um, but, okay, so I like that originally, too. But then the metaphor makes a lot less sense. You know what I mean? You can't knock on the door to a plot point. but Because right. we're not saying he's entering through the door. He's just knocking on the door with the shots. So, you know, knocking on the door of unhappiness, like pushing himself towards a mood, that makes more hmm. intellectual sense to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But I, I, I don't think metaphors always need to make... Uh, entire sense that's why they're metaphors you know that's <laughs> no they do do they if otherwise they're bad i mean they can be bad metaphors well then what does the sun represent yeah, because there's a dude... lot of sun in this book yeah yeah, yeah. i mean yeah, talk about heavy-handed it's just yeah. that, first right? i was like first he section. does not like uh, I, I, I picked clicked, that too. I clicked on that on my. I, yeah <laughs> okay. that's okay. the answer that's the answer i i oh, can't okay. it's not yeah. in front of me but that is God. the answer it was so funny because I, I, I remembered the scene mm-hmm. so vividly from when I'd read the book before with the sun beating down when he shot the guy. Like, I remembered that. And so when the sun was beating down on him right in the beginning of the yeah. book, I wrote it in the back of my book. I'm like, the sun is a pressure. <laughs> and I was like, write it. And then I was like, yeah. And then I was like, I'm going to find all the sun references because there must only be them. a few. And then I was like, oh my God, it's <laughs> everywhere. It's like, it's like literally the most yeah. recurring yeah. thematic point of the yeah. book is like, the sun is really hot and uh, in his face and he can't like you know get away from it it's just nature bursting down on him it was really kind of heavy-handed but well this the symbols throughout are pretty heavy-handed right. i mean everything is a symbol for something else which must make it somewhat easy to teach it to teach symbolism to the right. students right because everything stands yeah, for something I mean, yeah but what it doesn't it's not neat i mean do you know like what they exactly stand for or is no it just and that's like, what i was gonna say and yeah. and i wouldn't symbolism isn't something that i'd spend a lot of time on with um with ap you know so when i'm teaching this like we talk about the fact that the sun shows up and and i don't know what what it's a symbol of i mean i don't have there's no like teacher's edition with the you know the answers at the back of the book (laughs) but um but what i think is interesting about that what i always talk about with my students is um there are tons of novels and you know that have been since forever that that are um that's a really great sentence that sounded really intelligent (laughs) um that the light where light is like a holy or a pure Mm -hmm. thing you know so it what is interesting to me about that is that 
there's this recurring image and it's like this negative oppressive heat you know so right. so why you know we talk about so why do you think that is and and but honestly i don't i don't know i mean i don't know if it if it re- if there's like a one to one correlation where it represents something else i don't you know? think so i think it <clears throat> parallels god you know like the force of religion and god above from the sky for onto him which becomes obviously the chaplain i think it's just also like the lack of control he has over the environment you know so it's like the world is uh, you know oppressive yeah i think it's that when his actions are revealed in the light they don't hold up in society Oh, you know what I mean. I like that. Uh, I'm gonna give Julia some extra wow. credit for that on her wow. test. Damn. You should. Yeah, that's what. All right. Is. How, how about this one? How about this one? I like the fact that he didn't want to open his the the mom's casket because yeah. he's not interested yes. in internal states. He's just yeah. interested yeah. in like oh, deep, deep. the external, mm-hmm. like you know, keeping mm-hmm. things at a distance. He, Very yeah. good. Very good. I, th- yeah. I thought that <laughs> it was all about the way the the billboard looks over East End. Stop. Oh yeah. my god, I'm teaching that book yeah. right now too. So. It's about how society oh is a reflection on like oh. time and stuff. So I'm I'm literally <laughs> teaching that novel right now, like this week with my with my junior. So And yeah. you realize they're they're just watching the movie so, that just came out yep. and they're like, So I love that bit where Nick Nick's in the insane asylum oh my he's god, writing his don't novel. Don't even talk to me. I know. I actually um was thinking about like showing because some of the scenes in the in the movie, you know, could be interesting to a teenager, but yeah, the thought, shirt scene is we'll actually just, pretty cool. We'll just skip that whole beginning part that was not in the book <laughs> and we just not not uh not even acknowledge it, but Anyway. So how do you how do you deal with mm. the stuff like the sex and the murder? Because um, that like I was surprised <laughs> suddenly when there was the scene of the fondling of the breast, and it's mm-hmm. just so it like that's literally what it says in my version yeah, is, and yeah. then I fondled her breast, right. and it's like oh well that's she just spent some time fondling her breast. Right, right. I mean, I it's different because I teach this to AP kids than it would be in a in a regular class, and I'm not right. we're not reading it out loud, you know, we're not acting mm-hmm. it out. That's not you know. <laughs> We're not miming it. No. It's also, um, there's nothing sexy about it, Todd. Like, no, I mean, let's no, be honest. It's like, no. they're yeah. really weird sort of scenes where it's like, and yes. then and then we held each other and she wrapped her legs around me. And then it's like, eh, right. after yeah. we were yeah. done, we went, and you're like, well, yeah. done? Jesus, did that happen? That was really, you know, it's not like yeah. an emotional, you know, torrid love affair by any means. No. Yeah. Although Marie, Marie, I think, has some attachment issues and also yeah. does not find the right people attractive. But that's just my point of view there. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so um, I have this recurring thing with my AP kids where I like to talk to them about how all literature is about sex or death, yep. mostly, oh. right? Oh, if sure you reduce it, yeah. Yeah. right? And, <laughs> and but the, the reason this comes up is because they're always saying, why do we have to read so many depressing books? Why does somebody die in every book that we read? Every book we read has, you know, a murder or it's sad. And I think my, this is just my opinion, but I think it's because most teachers in high school don't want to deal with the literature that's about sex, you know, yeah. for obvious reasons. Right. So they end up reading a lot. Kids read so much literature where people die, you know. And um, so the, I would say the violence is easier to deal with because they read, you know, my kids after they read this have just read Hamlet. So everybody died in that, you know. But, um, but things that we read that are, you know, where I have to tread a little bit lightly about the sex, oftentimes it's just, you know, conversations where you're like, if you think this poem is about sex, it is, you know, and it's, it's just sort of <laughs> alerting them to the fact that it doesn't mean something's wrong with you if that's what you read, because that's, that's literature. I mean, I got to college and my Shakespeare professor at UC Davis, the, all the stuff that we read, I was like, oh my God, he's a perv. You know, we're reading the same <laughs> stuff that I read in high school and, or, or like, you know, the Canterbury Tales or something that I read right. in, in AP English. It was totally sanitized. But I, you know, I also see why some it, some teachers just don't want to go near it because kids can be immature too, you right. know. Yeah. So it's like this delicate balance of trying to show them what's really in a book, but also not get fired or you know, <laughs> promote anything, so and, you know. You, yeah, you want to avoid that. Yeah. How, how do you deal with? Yeah. The, the sort of question of what's the message of the book? That was one of the questions on on the quiz that you gave us is what is overall message? And so it, it's either an exploration of of why it's good to be a complete existential nihilist or why it's bad to be that. Um, are, do you talk about the intent of the author or just about the response of the students to the work? Um, that's a great question. I would say that my ideas about theme have changed since getting an MFA and being in Todd's class a lot <laughs> where he says there is no theme. <laughs> um, but I, you know, it's, 
it's still something that I talk about with my kids in the context of um, for the AP test, they always have to write about what's the meaning of the work as a whole, which isn't theme entirely the way that's phrased. It doesn't have to be theme, but it's like, what is this about? And so um, right. for me, the thing that I'm the most interested in is getting them to figure out what they think that is and then be able to defend it, you know? And so it's not, again, it's not about yeah. the, the, the teacher's edition with the answers at the back of the book. This is about this theme and it's like something that you know came down from the heavens with beams and angels singing and you know um but it but it's about them like what do you think this is about and and um i always tell them because they're like what you know they're ap kids like i don't want to be wrong i don't want to be wrong like be wrong but be fabulously right. wrong like maybe you know maybe you get something that's totally different but go for it and defend it and mm. maybe maybe i'm going to look at that and go oh right. i never thought of that before you know the the only time that they get into trouble and I tell them this, is if they base what they think the theme is or the overall meaning on something that's not in the book. So sometimes kids will do weird stuff. They'll be like, well, if Merceau was gay, then the theme of this book would be, and you're like, no, that's not actually, you know, or they're like, if, so they'll read, they'll do this like, if then kind of analysis, which doesn't work. But as long as they're basing it on what's actually there, they can kind of, go whatever direction they're going to go. I'm okay with that. Well, there, there, there was once uh, a lecture that a student in our program, uh, in the MFA program that I direct, gave where he proclaimed that The Catcher in the Rye was a coming out novel and that Holden was gay and that everything was, every single symbol in there was about him being gay. It's such like lazy scholarship. I feel like there's always, you know. Some... Yeah, and he, his big thesis statement was, um, well, and every time he puts something into or out of the closet, he's trying to say he has come out of the closet. And I'm just sitting there in the lecture, and I just oh. Google, when did come out of the closet come into common parlance? And it was like a decade after Catcher in the Rye had come out. And I was like, you know, the term didn't even exist yeah. at oh. that time. And, that, and actually, that's a, that's a thing that I hear about the Catcher in the Rye from kids. So it must be on the internet somewhere that somebody believes that's what it's about. Because that'll come up every once in a while now with kids. Well, I think it's just, I think it's more of a contemporary issue, you know, like kids, yeah. I, I feel like homosexuality is something that teenagers now are probably talking about much mm-hmm. more openly. And so they think of previous times as so repressed and that's an yeah. easy, an easy like, oh, there's something repressed going on as opposed to, you know, other issues. Yeah. Did you guys, did you guys get the the Catcher in the Rye feeling though from Remus? I really felt like. I had never known that mm-hmm. Catch the Rye was mm-hmm. probably inspired somewhat by this. Yeah, well, it's a loner. It's an outsider, right? It's the idea yeah. of like, and I think that's why these, I think that's why, you know, it's really smart to give these books to kids because I think that there's something to that. I think that, that children or teenagers in particular will identify mm-hmm. with those those outsider characters. And and you're right, Heather. I love the idea of, of a narrator that you're not really sure how you feel about. You know, I think mm-hmm. that that's, that's something that you mature into liking because it, mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense when you, you, you know, uh, instinctively, I think when we start reading, it's like, I, so you put yourself in the eye and yeah. then, you know, and that's why like Scout is like a badass and To Kill a mm-hmm. Mockingbird. It's like, you, <laughs> yeah. you know, she's so awesome and like everybody wants to be her and to some extent because she's got balls. And, and I just think that like reading a character like this is just, it's, it's, you know, it felt weird to me now as mm-hmm. an adult. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I don't want to be yeah. this guy, or you know, I'm I'm not uncomfortable. I'm, I'm I'm not totally on board with everything he's doing, and he isn't either. What's happening? And yeah. I think I. But this is why it's important. Like this is why it's so great that these kinds of books exist, and why I get so frustrated when people say they don't like you know unlikable characters or whatever, um, because the experience of empathy is uncomfortable and important so how can we ever affect our own society and the difficulty within it if we cannot empathize with those whose points of view we don't outwardly understand so i mean that's what's important about this and that's why to me things like the hunger games are like annoying because it's so i this is another rant but you know like i would have liked the hunger games a hundred times more if it wasn't in the first person because you know it's trying to make a point about society without ever giving any of the other kids point of view um so it's saying like let's choose the most obvious underdog you know and just stick with her um rather than seeing what it would like to be killed as you know any of the other 20 kids but so that's why like i think first person is best deployed in uncomfortable points of view or very negative or very violent points of view 
um, you know, Lolita is the same thing. There's so mm -hmm. many. Mm -hmm. There's so yeah. many good examples. Yeah. And, I, and, you know, I, yeah. the other thing is that I know, I know they're not going to get all of this when they read it. But, you know, maybe they're going to see it again in college or maybe they're going to see it on a shelf at a bookstore and they're going to go, oh, yeah, I remember that. You know, I read this. And we all have that experience, too. Like, I read it. I didn't yeah. get it. Um, but but you you have a little bit of it. And I think, you know, I was talking to them, too, about cultural lit literacy. So if you're, you know, if you're an adult and you can say, yeah, I've read Hamlet. I've read The Stranger. I've read The Catcher in the Rye. That, that that's a currency in a way to a different mm -hmm sort of level of society and and um even if you don't understand it all the way the fact that you're trying to approach it is awesome and whatever yeah. reaction you have to it is is worthy so that that's a great point i mean it's, it's almost mm -hmm. like the shared dna of people who are thinking outside of themselves mm -hmm. yeah that's a, a great way of, of of putting it the the other thing and maybe our my last thing here is that i actually uh, quite enjoyed it <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah I, it's a good book, it's a really, and it's, it's short. A really short you know, it, I couldn't handle it if it was any no. longer, like because it, it does get oppressive, <laughs> just like the sun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, but I, I did. I loved it. I loved rereading it. It was really fun, and you know, I'm still kind of thinking. Yeah, about it. Mm -hmm. and I think mm -hmm. you know the courtroom scene is is sort of a dystopian nightmare. Like it's it it's yeah. it's yeah. relative um, comparison to actual court is probably very slim. But he <laughs> says beforehand, it's a great line where he says, oh, "I'm sort of." Interested to see how a, a trial works, yeah. which, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which, which I thought was a great weird line. Yeah, and and there's there's parts of this that are obviously it's a it's a very old book. It's you know it's over it's almost eighty years old at this point. Um, and maybe it's older than eighty years old. It came out That's in what? Not a very old book. Nineteen forty. Nineteen forty two. Came out nineteen forty two, but. Uh, <laughs> I, I like that Thank he you. he's judged poorly for drinking coffee uh, <laughs> while, yeah. while his yeah. mother runs yes. away. Yes. <laughs> well, there's so many great lines. I just want to read a couple. You know, um, I, le I love when he's like adjusting to prison, and he says, mm -hmm. "I realized that it, then that a man who had lived only one day could easily live for a hundred years in prison. He would have enough memories to keep him from being bored. In a way, it was an advantage." Yeah. You know, and that all of amazing. this, it was so French to me. I mean, I, I took and studied a lot of French, too, and it reminded me of this. Um, I bookmarked an article to read in, in, I think, The New Yorker, which is like, it's the anniversary of the little prince. Oh. Nobody still gets oh, what it's yeah. about. <laughs> <laughs> that and was the first it, book it totally I read in French. That, yeah, yeah, it has that little princean quality mm -hmm. of like, all right, I dig it. I don't know why. But, uh, so wait, there's a guy in a French. plane who lands. Yeah. He meets an alien. Well, there's a, there, that whole section. The whole section where you know you just when he gets back from his mom's funeral and he's just like right. hanging out for a yeah. couple of days yeah. and it's like and it's just that one day where you get his mm -hmm. entire Sunday and he's like I hate something <laughs> and it's just like. Yeah. I, and he's just sitting there and mm -hmm. smoking and like watching the yeah. people go into out of movie theater and he's like, obviously it was a good movie. Oh yeah, they're doing this over there. No, oh, that lady's back. I guess I'll eat now. I'm kind of hungry. I was like, oh my god! I just wrote like, yes. I'm like this yes. is the definition. Like, if anybody wants to know what ennui is, it's like that's it. It's just like sitting around with that guy for a Sunday and just like smoking and judging and not really feeling anything. It was like, yeah, I, I love. And then he follows that girl. There, there's a very strange mm -hmm. moment where yeah. he's at Weird. his favorite cafe, oh, yeah. Celeste's, where he's sitting there eating, and a woman sits down, a, a not very attractive, frumpy woman. And she, you know, is reading a magazine and eats and leaves. And then he just decides to stalk her. And then, yeah. you know, she's too far away because she's running away from him. <laughs> I mean, it's a really bizarre book. And I, I kept thinking yeah. if this book were written today, he wouldn't just kill one person. He'd be a serial Dexter. killer. He'd be um, mm -hmm. Dexter or he'd yeah. be the guy from American yeah. Psycho. Or Which like, I would like a lot less. Be... It would not be as nuanced. Because I, I, I find Dexter, no. I didn't read the books, but just the TV show, I find incredibly manipulative you know, like morally manipulative. And I, I, I find it mm. like disturbing on a weird level that we're at that point where it's like your entertainment, you know, you're entertained by serial killing and you're also identifying with this guy. And it's like, eh, I don't know. I can't, I couldn't hang with that, but I know I'm on the minority because a lot of people yeah. love that show. But that's, that's interesting to me again, too, because that's people looking for a protagonist that they yeah. can like, you right. know, and can, even a horrible, yeah. even a right. really right. awful one. So I don't know. Yeah. yeah I mean, the, the great thing about this book is that he kills because of the situation he's put in by someone else. You know, that's very mm -hmm. unique in, and that 
it's very loyal to his philosophy. Well, thank you, uh, Heather Partington, high school teacher and book critic extraordinaire for coming on the show. And the, in case you didn't get it, it was The Stranger by Albert Camus. And uh, there's two versions that we talked about. We talked about the Gilbert translation and what was the other one? The Matthew Ward. The Ward translation. So we recommend all you sad little goth kids go out and read it. It's going to really awesome. make your day. Thank Do you it. so much, Heather. And then we'll go out. We'll lead out with Killing an Arab by The Cure. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> And that concludes this episode of Literary Disco. Join us in two weeks when we discuss Cathedral of Nervous Horses, a poetry collection from W.E. Butts. Literary Disco is produced, edited, and pulled from the brink of disaster every week by Tucker Ives. You can like us, hate us, comment on our latest episode, and send us messages via Facebook, facebook.com slash literary disco. And follow us on Twitter at Literary Disco. Thanks for listening. Staring at the sky, staring at the sun. Whichever I choose, it amounts to the same. Absolutely nothing.